Hi, my name is Gary Myers. And I'm Marilyn Stewart. And we're the hosts of the Answering the Call podcast, the podcast about people who are answering God's call. Today, our guest is a missionary serving in an undisclosed location. We will call him Kip for security reasons. Kip studied at NOBTS and Level College before going overseas to do missions. He shares some interesting insights about cross-cultural missions, including a few missteps he's had along the way. Kip also talks about the challenges that COVID-19 posed in his country. And so here's Kip. Welcome back uh, to the Answering the Call podcast. Um, Today's guest uh, we'll call Kip uh, for today, but uh, Kip is a graduate of, of our seminary and um, is doing some really interesting things overseas, and so we just wanted to have him on to tell a little bit about how God's using him where he's serving, and so we'll just open up, but Kip, tell us what you're doing and the type of work God has called you to. Yeah, so currently my wife and I are uh, working in the Mediterranean area um, with a number of different people groups trying to uh, find a way to connect them all together under a church in some form or fashion. And so uh, one thing that we are doing is we run a, a food program to aid folks coming up um, out of Africa, and uh, we'll go to the grocery store with them, we'll interpret for them, and in the process, if given the opportunity, and when given the opportunity, share the gospel and build deeper relationships with them. And we've had a number of fruitful relationships come out of that. Uh, We are also um, working with a number of churches in our country, uh, native churches to our country, um, to provide uh, training for preaching, to uh, aid them um, financially, and then also to help build some bridges. Uh, the country we're in has been um, kind of fractitious in a number of the denominations and church connections, and we want to come in and try to build bridges rather than walls and really gather around the gospel um, and try to shore up orthodoxy and downplay some of those minor doctrines that uh, even here in the States we tend to argue about that probably aren't worth going to the mat and breaking fellowship over. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of a bird's eye view of uh, what we're doing. We're hoping to in the future as well, very, very soon, open a place, a center, where we can then bring people um, to counsel. A lot of folks coming up through the Mediterranean come with lots of trauma, and they've gone through a very long and arduous experience to land in Europe. And so because of that, and as well, the trauma they endured in their countries of origin, uh, they just carry a, a great burden. And um, and so we, we look at our ministry uh, as not just wanting to meet their spiritual needs, but also emotional through counseling and then physical through the food program, but always directed at the gospel and uh, reaching them with the gospel. That's great. Uh, it's an exciting work that, that you guys are doing, and we're just so thankful that you've committed your lives to to uh, to, to gospel proclamation in, in, a, in a hard place. And um, so... 
you know, we've we've talked in, in preparation for this, but what what are some of the biggest challenges you face uh, serving cross culturally like this? Yeah, I mean, this this list can be uh, quite long. Certainly, um, I, I think I told you the story, and I could repeat it if you if you want. But uh, I was discipling a man from a North African country, and um, it's rather silly, but. Uh, as we were going through the Gospels one day, he told me that he had learned that the Gospels were written 4,000 years before Jesus was born, and that we know the Gospels to be true because Jesus fulfilled and did everything that was in the Gospels. And of course, uh, you know, I love theology, biblical studies, history, all these academic things, and so there was a piece of me that just wanted to react and just shout not heresy but wrong wrong and so but you know you you have to temper that you're you're discipling you're not attacking and so you temper those emotions and you say well here let me fold out for you and kind of draw you a timeline and help you understand just and give you some a little a little bit of biblical literacy about when stuff was written and so we start mapping out when some old testament texts were written roundabout and then we start mapping out when the gospels were written and then we put the cherry on top saying, and you know, the, typically scholars think the last book written was the book of Revelation. And so, we draw this out and we make a timeline and he parrots back to us the information and we think, all right, pat ourselves on the back, we did a good job. And then the next week came and we did a, a little review and he had all the dates backwards. They're all flipped. And I thought, what on earth? He's telling me the Gospels were written thousands of years ago again, and that Revelation's the oldest book in the Bible, and that um, the Pentateuch and the Prophets and all these were more recent. And I just thought, no, no. And so, we argue, and he and I go back and forth, and eventually he coalesces and says, okay, yeah, he parrots what I say, and he says, yes, okay, and he, he gives me the dates I want, which is Old Testament is old and New Testament's new, and at that point, that's what I wanted, just like, tell me what's old and tell me what's new. And so, again, he leaves and comes back the next week, and we do a review, and it's the same thing. And at this point, my my uh, partner and I in the city, my colleague, we're scratching our heads just, and we even started speaking to each other in English at this point, and, and instead of the language we were speaking to him in, because we were just befuddled as to why he couldn't understand what we were explaining to him. And, and as my colleague and I are talking, we look over and we see him holding his Bible, and he's trying to explain to us uh, about the Gospels, but the way he's holding the Bible catches our eye because when he is pointing to the Gospels, he's pointing to the left part of his Bible, not the right part, and that's when it dawns on us that he's reading an Arabic Bible, and he has an Arabic worldview, and in his mind, everything starts from the right and goes to the left, so when I drew for him a timeline... And I said, the old is left and the new is right for him. He just, I don't know, he probably just ignored my words. And, you know, we're imperfect speakers to each other. We're both speaking to each other in a language that's not our own. So, that's naturally difficult. And so, he just assumed all the books to the right were older and the ones to the left were newer, whereas I assumed all the books to the left were older. And as it progressed on the timeline towards the right, they became newer or more recent. And so, that's a silly story, but it really encapsulates how often how easy it is to step on just a cultural landmine that you didn't anticipate Mm -hmm. being there. 
Uh, you, you think this should be something so simple as just biblical literacy, but something as obvious as they read right to left, not left to right, whereas we're the opposite of that, can become a hindrance to really teaching somebody the Word of God. Right. It's uh, we get we get culturally locked, and we're trying to get outside of our culture to tell this thing that cuts through all cultures, the gospel, and yes. and, uh, and, uh, and we can forget to, you know, to how how uh, simple a Western mindset versus an Eastern uh, mindset would would uh, would hamper how we're drawing this out on a sheet of paper. That's yes. a great, yes. great look at just the, the type of challenges people face when they're serving cross-culturally. Um, you also were, were telling me, you know, we've, we've all gone through the COVID experience in some way or the other, but, right. um, you know, someone who experienced it outside of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, brings a different perspective, and and I know that your country has has grappled with it. Um, what has that experience been like for for you and your wife? Yeah, uh, you know, I'd love to say it was all uh, rainbows and sunshine, but it was it was trying and difficult. And for a long while, um, most of our colleagues with the board had left our country, and it was just us and our area by ourselves and you know even if they were there it's not like we could go see them it was illegal for us to travel i mean um during the first lockdown um the only reason you were allowed to leave your home was to go to the grocery store go to the hospital because you were sick or if you had a dog that needed to be walked which thank god we did but you were still limited to only 100 meters from your apartment so for us, that meant we could not even walk the block of our neighborhood mm-hmm. or, or, or just the block that our apartment rests on. We had to walk about half of it and turn around and come back because we just weren't allowed to escape. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, <coughs> there's a lot of ramifications for that, too. We're foreigners in another land. We're, we're functionally we're immigrants, sojourners. And because of that, there's a certain level of you need to have socialization and constant uh, interaction and engagement in the culture. And when you're locked out from that, it slips. This isn't your home culture. This isn't your home life. And so your, imbil- your ability to engage with the culture is um, contingent upon you engaging with the culture. You can't sit at home and read a book and learn to engage. I mean, yes, there are, of course, like strategies that you can mm-hmm. read and uh, you can read history and philosophy and you can get a grasp of some of the worldview that shapes the culture. But if you're not engaging with it, you don't understand the culture of the people. There's a street level culture that exists and you lose track of, you know, just social cues and taboo things to do or say or um, miscues or uh, faux pas, etc. And so um, being locked down really... Uh, inhibited us there. But likewise, because of the length of the lockdowns, we had to play catch-up. Even things that came second nature to living in the culture, connecting with people, became just more difficult. I found myself flipping words around or reverting back to English phrasing in my other language. Um, But then beyond that, uh, people who were natives of the country um, were colder in their approach to us because of fear from COVID. 
And so it made working with folks in their own country more difficult because they didn't want to engage with us as much. I, uh, I got a dog a few months before COVID hit, and uh, the country in, they love dogs. They adore them. And so every day that I would go walk my dog, multiple people would stop me and want to chat about my dog. They would ask her name. They would ask where I got her. And she's kind of a weird dog. Uh, she's kind of big. And so she sticks out. And then I'm kind of big, too. So I stick out. So we just kind of stick out together in a country of smaller people. And so because of that, I gave great gospel opportunities. I, I mean, I could, I could spend 15 minutes walking and have minimum one gospel conversation. I mean, my limitation to gospel conversations were truly upon me and how mm-hmm. much I wanted to go yeah. and walk and sweat. But after COVID, it's not that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, people people who didn't know us before are far less likely to talk to us, and it has made life much more difficult. Now, conversely, with the folks from Africa that we work with, uh, oftentimes they don't speak the language of the country we're in, so they're unaware of the regulations and rules, and they were much more willing to uh, safely meet with us or engage with us in ways where even even when it was legal, like we're not doing something illegal here, mm-hmm. but even after it was legal to go and have dinner at somebody's home, we found that the people of our country were far less willing to do it out of fear, whereas the folks coming up out of Africa were... They, I mean, these people are already dying for community even before COVID. And so mm-hmm. after, it's even more like that. And so we've really been able to see our African ministries flourish mm-hmm. because of, uh, ironically, because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you talk about just uh, the, the restrictions that, that you and your wife faced, um, it just made me aware that um, we need to be praying for. Uh, those who are serving in places that have had had much more of a lockdown than we experienced here, and and just the the ramifications for their gospel ministry, yeah. and you know they've uprooted their lives with this burning passion to go share and to have a a time period where that was limited, uh, you know, is is painful. And confusing, yeah. and so uh, we just need to be praying for those people, some who are still facing that in, yeah. in some countries. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, and we appreciate all those prayers. I mean, my wife especially struggled during the period, mainly because she's a rule follower. I mean, she loves to follow the rules. She's a stickler for it, and she loves to have a system in place. I mean, when we left the states and she couldn't go work a nine to five job anymore, it crushed her because she loves that that uh, monotony of just the same thing every day. She loves the structure. And so when we got into COVID and every two weeks, every three weeks, there would be new rules or regulations and things are constantly changing and adjusting. Uh, It really, for her, uh, threw her off and out of her rhythm because she could never get into her rhythm. when things would change, it would you know sometimes we would have more freedom, a lot of times we'd have less freedom, but that's one of those small things that you don't think about when you live in your own culture, but when you get to another culture, 
just kind of becomes the stress in that boiling pot of stress and gets it gets it closer to the top to overflowing and so when she's unable to have structure in her life her pot begins to boil over mm-hmm. it just is one of those stressors that gets her and so yeah i mean i really felt for her and i mean i wish i could have done something to change it but mm-hmm. uh, i mean sometimes we had family or friends that would say well why don't you just go tell the government you're not going to do it and just go do what you want Mm-hmm. Like, well, this isn't America. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I can't just go do what I want. Um, I will get kicked out of the country. So right. it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just really difficult, you know, for people who've committed so much to go do it and then to, to face this. So I was, I was so glad that you made me aware of that. I'd heard a little bit from some friends serving in Canada. And yeah. They'd, they'd face some of the similar yeah. problems. And, and it's just a reminder that uh, we need to be praying for people who are serving over, who are, who are taking the gospel to to other cultures because yeah. uh, there's so much that, uh, that goes into it, and then add COVID on top of that. Yeah, it's, it's just a lot to take in. Are you an NOBTS or Level College alum? If so, consider joining our brand new alumni association. Inside you'll be able to connect with alum from all over the world. You'll be able to audit classes for free, and you'll be the first in line for a long list of other goodies. To get started, visit us at nobts.edu slash alumni. Um, tell me a little bit about the people that you're, you're sharing with. Um, what, are, what are some of the obstacles that you have to overcome when you're when you're introducing them to who Jesus is and, and introducing them to the gospel. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest obstacles to overcome, if not the biggest, is fear. Mm-hmm. And many people that I engage with from Africa that are not Christian are wide open to the gospel. Wide open. But publicly, they will defend their home faith. Um very, very fiercely. And so when you're in a one-on-one setting, I mean, you have people weeping, talking about the gospel, but when they're in a group, it's hesitancy because of driven by fear. Mm-hmm. And so we're working with a number of people right now, um, you know, ranging from we're, we're discipling one girl who is trying to share the gospel with her home family back in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. And She's having difficulty doing it because their Christianity has become syncretized with Islam, and they don't believe her. Hmm. And just by trying to share the gospel, it's one of those things where in her culture, you can't have a daughter telling a dad, here's your worldview, or like, here's the right worldview, or here's what you should change about your worldview. It's offensive. And so she's having to push through this kind of, and that's really a soft cultural Barrier. I mean, we're not talking about she doesn't run the risk of being ostracized. Mm-hmm. She just runs the risk of maybe being mocked a little or uh, shamed in her family. But we, we, we see from her to another guy that I'm discipling who is a believer. Um, he's currently wrestling through baptism because he wants to be baptized and he's, he understands baptism is his public acknowledgement, this recognition that 
I am a Christian, but he's definitely afraid to do it because he's afraid of being kicked out of his house. Uh, he lives with some family members that are Muslim, and he is so afraid that they'll discover his Christian faith and ostracize him. And now this is something that's that that hadn't, hadn't considered, but I've seen played out. There's a certain level where it almost seems just as difficult being ostracized from your family in a foreign country as it is in your own country. And I say that because this guy is looking for people, not just that are Christians, but Christians from his country to connect with. And if he was in his home country, he might be ostracized from his family, but the chances of him finding other believers is much higher. Mm-hmm. Whereas in our city, in a for- you know, it's a foreign country for him, it's a foreign country for us, but in our city, um, he searches for people from his country that are believers, and they're just not to be found because there's not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And so, the risk of being ostracized from the home and cut off means complete, complete severance from his home culture. Mm-hmm. And when he does find other people from his culture, there again that fear mounts because it's not just him. They're all afraid to talk about Christianity with each other because of that fear of being ostracized. And so you have somebody like him uh, with this struggle. And then there's another guy that I'm sharing the gospel with. He's not a believer yet. He has left Islam, but he and he's come to church a few times, and he's, he reads the Bible and will talk Christianity. And of course, we also talk Joe Biden and Donald Trump and worldview and mm-hmm. World War II. He was amazed that his home country was involved in World War II during Africa. And I, I explained to him, hey, it's called World War for a reason. I mean, it's yeah, not just it's it's not everywhere. European countries. <laughs> it's, the, it's the whole, I mean, not every country, of right. course, but I mean, every continent was involved to some degree that had people on it. And so, um, so we talk about a, a litany of things, but when it comes to the gospel, his fear is not, it's not just light uh, mocking or rejection from the family or breaking perhaps some of the cultural norms, nor is it fear of being ostracized. His fear is death. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is thoroughly convinced that even in a European country, because of the community he runs in with people from his home country, if he were to uh, become, openly become a Christian, that they would kill him. So, I mean, we, we, we have the gamut I mean, we, we have every possible form of people in different various stages of resistance or hesitancy when it comes to the gospel and public expression and mm-hmm. explaining their faith or communicating their faith to others. That must change how you, how you view the gospel. Like, not, not in a way like you've accepted the gospel, but it must change... Uh, it must give you a, a fresh perspective on on what it means to follow follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's really easy to follow Jesus when um, when I can say I have health insurance mm-hmm. and I have a retirement plan and I have savings and my rent's taken care of and all of these physical needs are taken care of. I'm not really. I mean. There is a degree of sacrifice that we committed to, to move overseas, but when I compare it to what it costs these folks, 
I think, man, I mean, just the amount they would have to sacrifice. Uh, and, of course, they're all three in various stages. Like, the girl is, I mean, she's a fully committed believer. Mm-hmm. She has no, I mean, she, she she's reading Tim Keller. Uh, she, she read a couple of Nabil Qureshi books. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, she's now diving into how do I evangelize my friends and family. I mean, she, right. like, there's no... She she's she's no at the turning point, back. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she's at the point where she's willing to cut across cultural norms that exist mm-hmm. to share with whoever right. is in her circle, and so she doesn't care if it comes with shame, and she doesn't care if it comes with rejection or or mocking. I mean, she's there. She's ready to, and I, I mean, I applaud her. I applaud her for that. Um, but the other two guys, the believer who's not yet been baptized and is avoiding it for fear of being ostracized, and then the other guy who, I really think. If there was not the fear of death, that he would—I mean, I, you know—it's it's all hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't help but think that this is the biggest hindrance to him being mm-hmm. a Christian because I've had many talks with him, and I mean, yeah. he—he's there, he's there, but but it's that fear that just right. grips him, and so yeah, it absolutely has changed because I mean, there's an element to this where you have to sometimes ask yourself, do I really believe mm-hmm. in the power of the gospel to transform me and others in the world? Like, did Jesus' death change everything? And of course, I think it did. But if I really believe that, now I have to ask these people, hey, yeah. will you repent and believe right. even if it costs you right. your life? And I, I mean, I'm willing to ask and make that charge, but I also recognize the burden, mm-hmm. man. Like, I I also recognize it's not enough for me just to say that and walk away. Right. Like, I'm called not... This is something I've been meditating on in, uh, in Matthew. Um, it doesn't say go and evangelize. It says go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. Jesus says go and make disciples of all nations. And discipleship isn't something that you can just say repent and believe in right. Jesus and walk away. Now, don't get me wrong. And, if, and, and I've told you a story already mm-hmm. about somebody who was just street preaching, and it led to uh, the first guy's salvation, and it's just this incredible story. Um, but I'm very committed now to walking with these folks, no matter what stage they're mm-hmm. at, and bearing their burdens with them. And so if my friend becomes a believer and his life is threatened, it's now my duty Mm-hmm. To bring and even if he didn't, even if he's not a believer and his life is threatened, it's my duty to bring him, protect him, bring him mm-hmm. to my home, find a way. Because I, I can't be committed to just saying you need to repent and leaving them. I mean, this is the whole reason we are trying to take a more holistic approach to this. I mean, in every facet of our ministry, we're saying, hey, you need to repent, and believe, and if it comes under threat of your life, we will do what we can right. to help you survive. And likewise, it, hey, you need to repent and believe, and if you have emotional damage from your home your childhood or from your travels here because of whatever the circumstance we want to help you walk through that mm-hmm. and we want to we want to be there with you and we think the gospel is the best avenue it's the foundation to having this kind of emotional health but you know what even if you say no to the gospel we want to find a way to just right. do what we can to help you and likewise from just a bare minimum walking with them to the grocery store and translating how to say tomato and or you know helping them buy flour or what, you know, and honestly, we really don't have to help that often. I mean, they, they've been in country, they know what they're doing. Very rarely mm-hmm. do we really need to sit there and do some kind of micro translation. 
Um, but we're glad to even have that excuse and say, well, in case we need to help you translate, just so we can right. be present with them and be a faithful gospel witness that we want to connect our lives to you and uh, be faithful to share the gospel with you. Yeah, it is powerful. I like, you know, I, I believe Jesus is worth it, but it doesn't cost me the same that it does someone. And it's so encouraging to see people with so much on the line. Yeah. Say Jesus is worth it, yeah, and and that's really, you know, what um, what missionaries and preachers and evangelists are calling people to do, yeah, in, in, across the world, yeah, to say Jesus is is the answer. Jesus is worth it, and yeah. and when people with so much cost uh, do it, it's a great testimony, yeah, and uh, you know, we in the Western Church should take notice of what it's costing our brothers and sisters in Christ to to confess the name of Jesus. Absolutely. So uh, it's just it's just powerful to think about and I appreciate you mentioning that uh, uh, that cost. Yeah. Um, it's something we need to be praying for for those who who have such a such a burden. Yeah. And I appreciate you your willingness to walk alongside of them in that moment of danger um, that that they could face. Uh, because they're going to be, um, in many cases, uh, ostracized and alone. Yeah, yeah, so that's great. Great. Uh, it's uh, it's sad the state to, to hear about. It is that, that, that the world still has this, but uh, but we know it exists, and we know there are countries that are completely closed off to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So um, shifting gears a little bit, that's we went really serious there, right? But uh, I mean, I, I felt like if we're going to talk to to you, we needed to hear that. Mm. I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, talk a little bit about what it's like to to go through learning another language. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's an experience that people serving like you do have to go through. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about how that went. And, yeah, yeah. Um, learning another language, uh, at least for us, um, was difficult, but not in ways that we anticipated. We thought that it would be more akin to some sort of difficult exam where we just have to cram and cram and cram and just exert some kind of high-tier like rote memorization. And, of course, there's an, an element where you do have to just memorize vocabulary and and have it uh, this rote memorization but what we discovered was rather than having some kind of I uh, think you need to have a high intellect to learn the language really what it is is perseverance mm-hmm. you have to put yourself in situations where you can talk and be spoken at uh, it's really easy to fall into the trap of one or the other I'm more likely to fall into the trap of just doing a lot of talking my wife is more likely to fall into the trap of doing a lot of listening. Because of that, I speak a little better. She understands a little better. Now, together, we form a nice little dynamic duo, mm-hmm. but we have to be conscientious and intentional to separate ourselves to continue uh, increasing in language. And that's something else, too. We thought, oh, one day we'll reach a level, the level that the company requires, mm-hmm. and that will be the ceiling. But then we learn... That's the floor. That might not even be the floor. That might be the basement. I mean, it is the... I, I'm, and I mean that as no insult to what the board wants. What I mean is 
you get there and you think I'll be a master when you're at the beginning, and then once you reach it, you realize I am, I am very much a student still. Mm-hmm. And so you first have to persevere and just be intentional, just to to push into it. But there's a whole other element that comes with it that we didn't anticipate, and it was less about the language learning and more about the the expectations we had put on ourselves coming from. Uh, an American uh, culture, um, we found ourselves struggling with some sort of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Do I really belong here? Am I really doing a good enough job? Mm-hmm. And it was weird because we would come home exhausted. I mean, just totally destroyed after four hours of language learning. I mean, you would think that we had worked for 16 hours under the sun with no water and of course, our bodies were fine. It was our mind that just felt like it was mm-hmm. pushing at the edges. And I just remember coming home and just crashing um, from just having like all these new cultures and sights and sounds and language and all this just shoved into our brain. And it leading to, oh my goodness, I've done four hours of language learning today and I went to lunch and dinner, but I still had this expectation of here's what it means to work in America. I wanted to be out and about from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. But first off, that had to adjust for two reasons. One, uh, that's not the culture we're in. Mm-hmm. We're in a much later culture and a much slower culture. And so 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. just won't fly. I mean, very regularly when we have dinner, it will end unless there's a curfew. Um, but if there's no curfew, 1, 2 a.m., mm-hmm. I, I think one night I was, we, my wife and I were at, a couple's house. They were non-believers, and um, the husband and I, I don't know, we just, you know, sometimes you just meet someone, you just click with them. Mm-hmm. And so, it was the first time we had met. My wife and the other wife were uh, friends, and and so, uh, we go over for dinner, and he makes us this family recipe meal, and I think we arrived for dinner at 9 p.m., and drug me out of the house at 3 a.m. Not qu- drug me out, not because I was drunk, there's no alcohol involved, don't worry, mm. but because I was having such a good time talking and visiting. And I'm not normally a night owl. It's normally my wife who's the one that wants to visit and spend all the time and come midnight or one, I'm ready to go. But in this case, man, I was I was about it. So <clears throat> we also have recognized, though, in the imposter syndrome that living in a foreign culture, whether you're doing language or, or just shopping or living life, it comes with a toll. And my personal theory is that um, if something were to normally cost you an hour of energy in the States, it's going to cost you double overseas. And so it might take me an hour to go grocery shopping in the States. And so overseas, it might also take me an hour, but it's going to exert two hours of force on me because I'm just having to exist in a space that's not my own mm-hmm. and where I'm a foreigner. And, and let me tell you, it so regularly when something negative will happen to you, you'll think, did that happen to me because I'm a foreigner? Did I make a mistake? Mm-hmm. Or was it all an accident? And you get trapped in this kind yeah. of thinking. And uh, Anyway, so I, I suppose I could wax eloquent for way longer than we have talking about foreign experiences. But in summary, language learning, yes, I mean, even for four hours a day, you felt like you just were, were decimated. But the key was just perseverance. Mm-hmm and putting yourself in the culture. And you know what? If you get waxed and you're tired for the day, call it quits. That's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, you don't have to kill yourself doing this. You don't have to exert yourself un- unto um, some kind of 
destroyed state, you can take a break, take a step back, mm-hmm. rest. And, and I think it's important, too, because we ought to seek to be here for the long haul, not for short term. Uh, I, I'm of the opinion that the principles of ministry in the States are the principles of ministry in the world. And it's not because they're of the States. It's just mm-hmm. because ministry principles are the same everywhere. Uh, you have to be humble. Uh, if you're not humble, you, you, you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. You, it's going to come crashing and burning. Uh, you have to be teachable. You have to be hospitable. Um, you can't come in and start calling the shots. You need to take a step back and build social capital and trust. You need to learn the culture that you step foot into. Even in the States, when you go to a new church, it is so, everyone knows. Anybody with pastoral experience knows if you go into the church and you don't try to learn that micro-church culture, you're making a huge mistake. So just take that and expand it to the world. Yeah. Walking into another culture, I take the step back and I listen and learn. I need to learn the culture. I need to learn how they do church, how they do life. And then, you know, if it's something that's unbiblical or sinful, like you will eventually have the opportunity to speak into that. But 99% of the things that go on in the church are simply just cultural. And so it's better to learn it so you can try to step into that culture in a better way. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good good word there, um, and it, it doesn't matter where you go, you're gonna you're gonna fall into the trap if you come with the idea that you you know everything, absolutely, or, or have some uh, you know, special knowledge. Absolutely, it's great to to come with that teachable, humble spirit. Well, um, we've talked a little bit about what you do and and the challenges that you faced, and then. You know this this time of COVID, but um, how can we pray for you and your wife? How would how would you uh, those who listen? How could they pray for you? Yeah, yeah. At the risk of um, exposing our identity, um, you, you can pray for us um, because we we, um, we we would like to adopt. We've had trouble over the years, and this is something that we've had on our heart even before marriage, and. In the country we live, it's very difficult and long and arduous process, but we think we have everything planned out. It's just a matter of executing now. But like anything, it can go sideways very quickly. I mean, it's not foreign countries. It's just life. And mm-hmm. so even if we're in the States, things can go sideways. And so we're just trying to carefully but assertively and intentionally pursue this because this is what's been on our hearts from uh, over 10 years ago mm-hmm. before we were even married. And so you can pray for us in that regard uh, personally. Um, And then you can pray for our work in the city that we're in. Uh, We work with a great number of different groups. And so just that we would um, be faithful gospel witnesses. Uh, It's so weird. Almost to the group, I find myself either being more or less open with the gospel. And I probably ought not be that way. But... Some nationalities are just so open to discussing religious matters. And when you find and you learn those, you just see them and you go to them on the street because you know I can have a gospel conversation right now Mm -hmm. and you do it. But then others you learn, oh, these are way less likely to have a conversation. And it does have an effect on you. And you say, okay, well, I don't want to go talk to these people because they're cold cultured and 
chances are I'm going to have to go in and try to insert the gospel and it's not going to work. And then I'm going to have to befriend them and, and then we're going to have to go have a meal together. And then I'm going to keep trying to inject the gospel and they're going to keep pushing back and it's going to take me five months down the road. And then finally they will be open to actually hearing the gospel and I'll be, and so you just, it turns the person from somebody who God could already be working on their heart. I mean, they, you could just offer them a kind word and they are ready. In fact, my wife did that recently with a cold cultured person. She just right place, right time, just said something kind and the lady breaks down in tears and they're talking about the gospel, just like that. So I know that's the case. I know that's how God works, but not always. And so you get used to running into people who come from cold culture climates and you want to just, I, I, I suppose it's, you see the work ahead of you and just like anything that requires a lot of work, you kind of mm-hmm. groan and grunt and say, all right, let me, let me get ready to do this. And so that we would be faithful, not just to the low hanging fruit, but that we would be faithful to the difficult to reach fruit mm-hmm. and that we'd be an in, intentional about it, very intentional. And then just more broadly that we would find a way to work with our national partners to build those bridges in our nation and we have another a number of plans that I've mentioned to you off podcast and the works, and uh, I'm not going to go into them now, but if you guys could just pray for all of our projects uh, mm-hmm. that we have in the works, that would be that would be excellent. Well, I, I wish you could um, hear hear uh, hear all the stories uh, that uh, that Kip has shared. Um, we really trying to safeguard um, their their ministry and not divulge too much and and uh so if you really if you heard all of his stories you would be <laughs> even more excited about what what god is doing but uh but we're we're just so thankful uh to have alumni like you serving and um uh, and taking what you learned uh here in new orleans and and taking it across the world and yeah. so we're so thankful for you guys yeah. And uh, we will we will be praying for for these upcoming projects and praying that that um, those barriers barriers will continue to to break down yeah. and then that the gospel will go forward. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks. Hey, it's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks.